0: Well, good morning. You might be wondering, what's this old guy doing with a mask on? Well, Friday noon, I began to get a, a small fever. This has happened before, but um, it don't last long. Well, it did. Like a stupid idiot, I forgot to take real uh, Tylenol. If I'd taken Tylenol right away, I wouldn't have this mask on. Well, it lasted all day yesterday, but I knew I was getting victory, and I don't have any fever now. But I, I, I just, for, it's better to be safe than sorry, and I want to wear this, so you, you'll still be able to hear me. And I will leave right away, and Tuesday night I'll be preaching at um, Grace Baptist Church, so I won't be able to uh, be with you on Zoom. But having said that, let us pray. Almighty, eternal God. Holy, holy, holy is thy name. Thy word is holy. Thou art holy in all thy works and righteous in all thy ways. And now, as we are bound to share from thy holy word, we can only do that by the enabling grace of your blessed Holy Spirit. So speak to the unworthy servant the message you want us to hear today as we commit this time to thee. In Jesus' precious name, with thanksgiving, amen. As Pastor Bob referred to um, this day as Palm Sunday, I had asked him uh, whether I could tie in what happened after Palm Sunday to the message on Good Friday which was sin that made necessary the cross so but prior just with a few words on that famous day you remember as the Lord reached the descent of the Mount of Olives there was a great multitude in front and a great multitude in back and they rejoiced and praised God with a loud voice uh, uh, saying uh, praising God for the wonderful works that Jesus had done and they said glory Glory, Hosanna to the Son of David. Uh, blessed be the King who cometh in the name of the Lord. And it went on and on. And then the trials unfolded. And the thing I want to refer to is <clears throat> right before the crucifixion, right before Pilate uh, pilot was done, the uh, Talking to the audience, uh, talking to the thousands, Uh, he said the time had come for him to release one of the prisoners. That was something that Rome had made with uh, uh, Israel that at the feast day of of, uh, the Passover. That's what happens when you're old. You forget something that you already know. So forgive if I'm a little slow. They made a, a, a agreement with Jerusalem, I guess, to uh, either patronize or whatever. And so Pilate said to the, the thousands, he says, Who should I release, Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, Barabbas. And they said, well, what shall I do with the one you called your king, the king of the Jews, what shall I do with him? And they said, crucify him. And Pilate came back and said, well, what evil hath he done? And they said, crucify him, away with him. Well, I'll tell you, all I can say is, did you ever see such an ugly display of sin. That was sin at its worst. That in one, just a few days later, after they had praised God, as I just said, and then when they were persuaded by the Sanhedrin and others that to get rid of this man called Jesus, then they fell right in line. And so I asked Pastor Bob, as I said earlier, whether I could bring a message I would tie in with Good Friday, and that's how it came to, that's how this came to pass. Our text is from Genesis four one to seven, and it's where sin is first mentioned in the Bible, and in chapter one, we see the order of God's creative work. In chapter two, we see God's personal touch in the creation of his first parents. And then the wisdom God gave to Adam to name all his creatures that flew through the air and all that was upon the ground. The first marriage ceremony and the one law God gave to them. And then chapter 3, the adversary appears. The woman was deceived. The law was broken. And in came sin. Now, I would read the text. Begin at chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, an offering it to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wrought, very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain Why art thou wrought? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. This was right in the very beginning. God said the only approach to God would be through death. And the old testament, as you know, death of and whenever they offered a sacrifice in the old testament, it was always right before the Lord, before the Lord at the gate of the temple. And so you remember uh, Genesis 2.16? On the day that you disobey me, you shall die. That still never changed. And so Abel knew he was a sinner. So he knew the only way he could come before God, that there had to be a death. And so he had to offer the death of a substitute. And that's the way it's been done all through the history of Israel. Yet, it could be... Cain's Cain's response will be dealt with throughout the message. It could be added that there are many Cains in the world today in their attitude about sin and their attitude about God and one's approach to God. Some years ago, in a a periodical called Moody Monthly, a Christian news outlet, there was listed a comparison of man's view of sin and God's view of sin. Listen to these comparisons. Man calls sin, an accident. God calls sin an abomination. Man calls sin a chance. God calls sin a choice. Man calls sin an error. God calls sin an enmity. Man calls sin a fascination. God calls sin a fatality. Man calls sin an infirmity. God calls sin an iniquity. Man calls sin a luxury. God calls sin a leprosy. Man calls sin a liberty. God calls sin lawlessness. Man calls sin a trifle. God calls sin a tragedy. Man calls sin a mistake. God calls sin madness. And man calls sin a weakness. But God calls it willfulness. And now... A few words on the definition of sin. 1 John 3, 4, it says that sin is the transgression of the law. And the simplest explanation of that verse is man's refusal to be under the authority of God, which is so illustrated by Cain. And he is also the father of all who think that God will be or should accept their good works. It's interesting, John 5, 29, it says, Jesus was speaking, he said, And all shall hear my voice, and they shall be resurrected from the dead. Some be resurrected for good unto the resurrection of salvation, uh, and, the, 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 uh, and there will be those raised again to the resurrection, uh, that done evil to the resurrection of damnation. That word evil speaks about something that is worthless, Something that has no value whatsoever. And I don't care how good we might think we are, we can't offer anything to God because of sin in us and sin upon us. You see, Abel understood that there had to be a death taking place. See, and I'll I'll illustrate that a little bit later with the -the do-and-the-done religion. But until we understand that we can't approach God on our own. A death had to take place. And that death took place in Jesus Christ. And that's why we look to him and praise him. And love. him. And the older I get, the more I love him. And the more I want to serve him until I don't have any more breath. Just um, see, the Bible says in uh, Luke six forty six. No, I'm sorry. In Isaiah 6, 46, 64, 6, it says, And we're all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we do fade as a leaf. And the iniqui- and like our iniquity, it takes away like the wind. You, some of you know Peter Nakatra. Well, one day I was out, and I saw him, and he's... Uh, Some of his uh, flock, they were doing evangelism on the street. And he had uh, two easels. On the one, there was a flock that said, the do religion, and the other, the done religion. Well, Cain is representative of the do religion. But Abel understood he looked forward to the one who would do for him what he couldn't do for himself. You see, Abel's the first one listed in the in the unroll of faith because he looked forward to his redeemer that the Lord promised in Genesis three fifteen. By the way, sin is a voluntary act of the will. I want you to picture this: so, Eve had heard what God told Adam. And she also told Satan the same thing. When we eat of the fruit of that, you'll die. But then Satan came back. No, you will not die. God's withholding something good from you. So there she was at the tree. She saw that the tree was good for fruit. So were all the other trees. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. So were all the other trees pleasant to the eyes. But then she saw that it would be one to make one wise and then came forth the will. The first sin in heaven became the first sin on earth. And we have suffered ever since. Romans 3.23 says, you know, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Most uh, will refer to that as missing the mark. Someone said, it's shooting at the wrong Mark. And then there's Wycliffe Dictionary says, Sin is anything contrary to the character of God. For God's glory is the revelation of his character. And God's character is revealed in his laws. It also is an individual rebellion against God. That's why David said in Psalm 51, 4, he said, Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And over 40 times in the scripture, it says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And every time we sin is against Him. Sin is like a finite individual pitting his will against God, his creator, his redeemer, his judge. In Hebrews 3 12, we find that God calls sin unbelief. In John three seventeen we learn that all unrighteousness is sin. And in Romans chapter one, it says the wrath of God is against all ungodliness and against those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. All unrighteousness is sin. The Bible tells us in James four seventeen that when given an opportunity to do good and we neglect to do it, it is sin. Yes, I want you to think how many times we had a chance to do good and we didn't do it. And the Bible says that's sin. In the Old Testament in uh, in Proverbs twenty four nine says the thought of foolishness is sin. And uh, so Daisy and I we used to kid each other, and uh, sometimes it, it was downright foolishness. Until I read this lesson, <laughs> I had to stop. <laughs> And then, there, I want you. To, I, I want to this last definition. <clears throat> I want to begin by asking you a question. <clears throat> I want you to think back over your life and try to remember how many times in life's experiences you took action without faith. It's worthwhile. The Bible says to take action without faith is sin. Romans fourteen twenty three. Secondly. I'd like to talk about the character of sin, to be in rebellion against divine authority. That's what the character of sin is typified by Cain, and then the testimony of Moses. There was—I don't know if anybody was tried more in Scripture than Moses. And this is what he said in Proverbs in Deuteronomy 9:24. He said, "From the time I knew you, this was after 40 years." He says, ever since I knew you, you've been a rebellious people against the Lord. He saw 40 years of evidence of that. In Ezekiel 33, 31, the Lord speaking to the prophet said, yes, the people will come. They will come before you, and they'll sit before you as white people, and they'll hear what you say, but they won't do what you say. Oh, with their mouth they'll show great love, but with their heart they'll go after their covetousness. And I thought, how does that picture some in the church today? In Romans 8 9 is another characteristic of sin, where it says, the natural man is hostile toward God. Because he's not subject to the law of God and neither can be, and that's why we need the Savior. Until we come to the Savior, we'll always be hostile. Uh, always, no, I'm not hostile. Yes, you're hostile because you won't come under His authority. That's evidence you're not saved. In Luke 19 14, there's a parable the Lord made known this characteristics of sin by referring to Himself in the parable as a nobleman. And the citizens in the parable referring to the Jews who declared, we will not have this man reign over us. The character of sin is in its sinful lusts, which are ever dormant, but ever ready to spring to sinful action when fueled by this world system. And this world system, listen to what it says. Live not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is the world is not of the Father, but of, <coughs> but of the world. Excuse me. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof the door of the world, the Father abideth forever. In our generation we have made God to fit in with our culture by Americanizing the gospel, and thereby Americanizing Christ. sin can no longer excuse me I'm sorry the character of sin pretends to be what it is not and we see that so well Uh, revealed regarding uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira and Simon Magus in chapter 8 the character of sin is called deceitful it never fulfills what it promises oh illicit sex is advertised as exciting and maybe for a short time but then the emptiness of a violated conscience do you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 13 Absalom had a sister a beautiful sister called Tamar and he asked a brother from another mother, from another wife. Well, Ammon loved this Tamar. It was a physical love, but he wanted her in the worst way. And so he concocted a scheme to get his father's permission. To have, he pretended he was sick, and then he, pretend, and then he asked if Tamar could come and prepare a meal for him. And so he did, and he ordered all the servants out of the house. And when Tamar brought the food into him, what did he do? He grabs her and grabs her, and the love that he had for her was surpassed now by the hand that he had for her. You talk about deceit. Another example is seen in Ecclesiastes 8.11. 8, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed right away, the heart of man is fully set to do evil. Yes, the human character made in the image of God and after to his likeness and degraded by sin, it, it, it wounds a conscience, it robs a peace, and, re, and it replaces it with guilt and shame, and Judas is a good example. John Owen said, the deceitfulness of sin is to draw the mind away from its ugliness and its consequence. Deceitfulness of sin... Majors upon the grace of God in a leniency towards sin, as it says in Jude 4. And Jude 4 says, for those abstain, crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. ungodly men turning the grace of God into unbridled sensuality and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Deceitfulness of sin, uh, John Owen goes on to say, draws the heart away from considering the evil of sin. The deceitfulness of sin makes sin look so enticing, but it hides that which is so undesirable. Therefore, the deceitfulness of sin makes temptation so powerful. One more characteristic of sin is sinful lust, which can be so easily aroused. And what is that? When fueled and quickened by the culture that has lost its sense of shame, it does not take much to ignite a sinful lust into action. James 1, 14, 15, When lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. As in our text, sin is first mentioned in the seventh verse. The Hebrew word lieth conveys the idea as to crouch, ever ready to spring into action. God is reasoning with Cain to come with a sacrifice that he had instructed for God was making it very plain right from the beginning that sin and death go together. For it's the only way one can come to God for he is holy. And if you're here this morning and have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you haven't believed. And that's the only way you can be accepted before God. See, to believe is to surrender. That's what the word means. Like... John 10 9 and 10. If we confess that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is Lord, and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that word, uh, that word Lord, is the idea of owner property, has absolute authority over what he owns. And he owns us because he bought us with a price. Not with silver and gold, but with his own precious blood. And the word confesses to speak the same with or consent to the desire of another. That's the reason I say to believe is to surrender to him. That's the only, and that's one thing I really appreciate by Billy Graham. He always, when he asks people to come to Christ, surrender to him. Surrender to him. It's the only way one can come to God for His holy. God told Cain that sin's desire was to control him, but that he was to rule over sin, for sin is ever ready to spring into action. Now listen carefully. Cain refused the grace shown unto him by God, his maker, and so what happens? And sin now no longer in a crouch, sprang into action, and the first murder was committed. You see, verse 7 is so important for if we know to do right as God's words instructs us, and then we go our own way like Cain did, sin will spring into action, which is illustrated all through the Bible. Thirdly, sin cannot be hidden. Dr. Stoll, I was a young believer uh, back in Well, I became a believer when I was 37, back in 1966. They had a pastor at the church. He was a godly man. And every now and then he'd come in with some quaint sayings. And he gave a saying that I never forgot. He said, you can commit sin one by one, but you shall pay for sin two by two. I never forgot that. that's why in the lord's salutation to the church of Thyatira he uh, in his salutation he said, he introduced himself as the uh, son of god who hath eyes like a flaming fire you see the church of thyatira was caught up with sexual immorality and he wanted to see how he want, uh, he wants us to know how well he sees everything goes on in our sexual uh, uh, lawlessness Remember when Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus? How did the Lord reveal himself to a shining light that was shown brighter than the heaven, than than the sun? When, uh, I wonder, I know know there is a lot of sexual sin in every church. And Pastor Bob told me one time when he was at a pastor's conference. He said the greatest sin that they have in the churches, that the trouble is sexual sin. I want want you to listen to this very carefully. When those who profess his name engage in fornication or adultery or entertain themselves with watching pornography, they do it in the light of his countenance. And beyond that, as we learn from 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 17, when one has the Holy Spirit and then engages in sin outside of marriage, that person takes the Lord with them in committing that sinful act. And Hebrews 4, 13, one of my favorite things is now open for the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In Psalm 90, verse 8, David reminds us that even our secret sins are done in the light of his countenance. That is why he prayed in verse 12, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Most believers are acquainted with David's affair with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, I mean the husband of Uriah. What he did, when he found out she was pregnant, how he summoned Uriah back to Jerusalem. This and what was his purpose? He thought, well, I made this, his wife pregnant now, i have him come back from the war. There was a war going on between Israel and Israel. And so he summoned <clears throat> Uriah back. He'd go right to his home. Well, he didn't do it. Instead, he went to, uh, to Jerusalem to the servants of David. And uh, they said, well, why didn't you go back to your home? He said, how can I go back and enjoy the, the pleasures of a home when my brothers are out there fighting against a war? And regardless, how much? David tried to coax him to go down. He even made him drink, but he will not go down. So what does David do? He Israeli really a message for Uriah. They put it in a sealed pack. He says, give this to Joab. And so he did. And you know the rest of the story. Uh, Joab obeyed the orders of the king, put him right where the most dangerous place he was killed, and David beheld Bathsheba. That looks what follows. When Nathan came to David, he said, uh, uh, King, he said, I-, I need your counsel, I need your judgment. He said, There was a man with a lot of sheep. He was a rich man. Now, I want you to keep in mind, David had many wives. And there was a poor man, just one sheep. You only had one wife. he says, There was a traveler came. To visit the rich man and to provide food for him, he went down and took the one sheep from this poor man. And so the king says, what should we do to a man like that? And the king says, he shall die in your name and say, you are the man. Everything is naked and open before God. You remember when God confronted Cain after he slew his brother? Where is thy brother Cain? Am I my brother's keeper? And God says his very blood is crying out from the ground. God had given strict orders to Joshua and his army with the conquest of Jericho that all spoils of the battle were under God's curse. Achan's lust for financial security was greater than to be in subjection to God's word, he hid the spoils of victory in the 70s, but his sin found him out. Ananias and Sapphira thought their pretense would be safe and secure, but their sin of lying found them out. We ought to take sin seriously. See, Proverbs 12:22: lying lips are an abomination to the Lord that they who deal truly are his delight. And I, in my many years, I've seen people lie so easily I exaggerate or diminish, but every lie imitates Satan because he is a liar from the beginning. Just a few more words, and I want to quote this verse from Jeremiah 32, 19. Great in counsel is the Lord of hosts and mighty in work for thine eyes. Thine eyes are upon all the ways of men. I want you to think about something. His eyes are upon us this morning. He knows what's in our heart. He knows what we're thinking. He knows whether we're sincere or we're just putting on a sham. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that the Lord knows all about me, even the ugliness in me. And when there's that ugliness, that's why I run to him right away for forgiveness. As long as there's sin in us, We'll still sin once in a while. But God wants us to hate sin like He does. And by the way, Psalm 32 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Fourthly, dealing with what activates sin. Now I mentioned first John two fifteen to seventeen before but I refer to it again because it has to do with this world system, and Satan is the prince of this world system. He knows how to ensnare souls of men, for he's a skillful strategist, for he knows the weakness of those he plans to ensnare. Therefore, if the first uprising of sin is in the heart that would lead to sin, put it to death right away, our sin will be consummated. In Hebrew 12, 1, it speaks of the besetting sin. In each one of our lives, there may be a sin to which we are vulnerable. Other temptations that could lead to sin do not fit us one bit. But I want to address one sin that has ensnared many. In this sin-cursed culture, it truly is satanic. The way pornography is made available in so many ways. Those who get caught up with it, including pastors, know it is sin, but but are so addicted to it, they go back to it again and again. It's like a pig that has been washed, but goes back to lay in its filthy pigsty. Let me illustrate how one can be delivered from sexual sin in its many forms. There was a man who was a believer and he got caught up with the sin of homosexuality. To get victory over the sin he went to a, a very well-known Christian counselor. And uh, And this covered a period of many weeks. But after a visit, after a couple weeks after the visit, that urge to engage in that sin would be so great he would he just thought he had to partake of it. He had cried out to God, but God wouldn't help him. And the council, he was at his wits' end. He didn't know how to get this man victory. And then the Lord gave him this insight. He said, you may cry out to God to get victory over this sin when the urge comes. But he said, you're unwilling to shut the door. And we understand before. If you're here this morning and are caught up with sexual sin, or any sin that you have not gotten victory over as a child of God. Make a vow to shut the door to that sin no more, and the Lord will be sure to help you as I said. If there's that which creates lust, take it away and go to the Lord in prayer. Now, I want to, I want you to listen to something very carefully. I'm going to quote Colossians 3 1 to 4, and I want to listen to the words after that. If you want Christ. on things above, not work for your dead to them. For your life is with Christ in God. then in Christ who is your life, shall appear, you shall be appear with him in glory. Now notice these acts were mortified therefore sexual immorality on Affections which are not pure Sinful Sin I'm sorry. You can you think you have it memorized, but you don't. Let me start again. Mortify, therefore, in your body, put to death sexual immorality, uncleanness, affections that are not pure, sinful passions, evil desires, and covetousness. Just like what he says, something so beautiful. Then he comes in with about death. I can only tell you can we be so careless with the promises of verses one to four and then let Satan have the victory? Let me repeat that can we be so caught up with the verses of, of Colossians 3 1 to 4 and then let Satan have the victory because we're unwilling to mortify, put the death sin? Romans 8 13 is a warning. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. I shall have more to say about this in our application. Fifthly, the consequence of sin. Our first parents, consequence. Paradise. Cain, Vagabond. Think of what it cost David. The sword shall never depart from your house. Moses, in his anger, as I referred to him earlier, one day he got so put up, put out with the people. They're murmuring, 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 that when the Lord told him to speak to the rock, he smote the rock twice. And God would not allow him to go into the promised land. God is not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of persons. And then Achan, Ananias, Sapphira, Judas, Simon of Acts 8, the churches, the Lord evaluated, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Demas. But I would like you to look at the consequence of, of sin in another light. If you had COVID-19 the flu, pneumonia, cancer, fever, or whatever infirmity that may have afflicted you, did it not sap your physical energy and strength? You think I haven't noticed the physical sapping of my energy and strength? I come from the farm. And we had soil that was free of thistles and weeds when it was well-watered and cultivated, it brought forth fruit, abundant fruit. But then had another area that was a contaminated, just contaminated with seeds, with weeds and thistles. And, of course, it took away the life of the plant. And hence, there was no value to the farmer. In this case, it was my dad. In the spiritual realm, when sin has its grip on the body and affects what value then? Let me ask you this: If sin comes into your body, you're practicing sin. Of what good are you to the good kingdom of God? God will not use an unclean person to do His holy work. Listen to what it says in Second Timothy two nineteen twenty. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. And having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and we who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are many vessels, some of gold and silver, and some of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. And if any man will purge those those things of dishonor, he said, Yes, you'll be used. You'll be used of the Lord. You'll be sanctified in every good work, and you will, uh, you'll be able to count for the kingdom of God. Look at what sin did to the church at Sardis, Laodicea, Pergamos, Thyatira, and Ephesus. And you know why the Lord evaluated Ephesus first? Because it says they left their first love, and that is why the Lord reproved them. For if you leave your first love, Easy it is to experience the consequence of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death and it'll never change. Death to a relationship, death to a marriage, death to a business, death to a ministry, death to a health. Sin and death will always go together. Someone said, referring to sin, he expressed it as follows. Sin is like a corpse that has been murdered and it may appear safely buried, but resurrection awaits it and sin will never be separated from a sinner unless he or she is a child of God and then only a death absent from the body present with the Lord. But those, I want you to think about having all the evil stuff you've done let going be part of you through all eternity. You'll never separate sin from the sinner unless you're converted. And because of indwelling sin, First John, one eight. At times we will sin in thought, in word, and in deed. How thankful we can be for Psalm one thirty three and four, Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? But there is forgiveness of you, that you may be feared. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise His name. Sin saps our spiritual energy. And I'm old enough to know that. And that's a great consequence. Just a few words on application. We're living in a time when sin is glorified and many professing Christians live as if there were no moral absolutes. Or we live in a culture where there's no modesty nor sense of shame. Early in the 20th century, Billy Sunday testified what was happening in his day that sin was treated as a powder puff but sin will never, never will ever be a mortal enemy to one's eternal soul and should be treated as a rattlesnake. For a few minutes I would like to expand what it means to shut the door to sin which was mentioned earlier. John MacArthur, listen to what he said we must see sin as a sworn enemy and commit ourselves in slaying it wherever, whenever it rears its ugly head. John MacArthur also said this, how sin perpetually stalks us and to give sin an inch, it will take a mile. John Owens went on to say that I want you to listen to this. John Owens went on to say that the only way to get victory over sin is putting it to death, or uh, to put to put it to death is to load thy conscience with the guilt of it. To load thy conscience with the guilt of sin—that's the only way to get rid of sin. There were two mountains where God made a covenant with His people. The one was at Mount Sinai where the covenant was etched in stone, and the other was at Mount Calvary where the new covenant was sealed with the precious blood of Christ. Remember what he said there in the upper He took the cup and he said, "This is my blood of the new covenant, shed for many for the remission of sins." And no doubt, Pastor Bob will remember the Lord's death till he comes on Friday. We usually do that on Good Friday, but every time we partake of that cup and partake of that bread. We're mindful of the terrible, terrible, terrible suffering that Christ suffered in our behalf. And how can we just give him lip service but not heart service? Which begs the question, is communion and fellowship with our Lord of such little import that we dare engage in sin for which all the ordinances which were against us was nailed to his tree Where he, as he hung upon that tree, the sin of the world was heaped upon him. Think of that. The sin of the world was heaped upon him. And then we read in Isaiah 53 he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And then. Galatians 3, 10, 13, we know that if we break God's law, we're under God's curse. But what did he do? He redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made the curse for us, for it is written. It's everyone that hangeth upon the tree. And then, how are we going to make peace with God? He made peace through the blood of his cross. And then, he one whose sin was made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why? For what purpose? Why? 1 Peter three eighteen. He, the just, suffer for our sins of the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's the whole purpose for all this, that he might bring us sinners to God. When the Lord Jesus said in Luke 9:23, I take that to mean to follow Jesus will include some kind of suffering, as in John 15, 18 to 20. He said, If you were in the world, the world would love you, but because I called you out of the world, the world hated you. But remember this: a servant is not greater than a servant. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. But I also believe in that verse in Luke 9:23, where he said deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. I also believe that he meant to kill sin, to to apply the cross, apply the cross to kill sin at its first uprising in our hearts. For someone has said, use a cross to kill sin, or sin will kill you. We can be born again, but the desire to satisfy self will ever be present. And what it says in Romans 13, 14, The night is far spent, the day is at hand, but let us put on the armor of light, casting off the works of darkness, and let us walk honestly as in the day, not in sexual immorality, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, which means to give oneself wholly to the Lord. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you strangers and pilgrims, Abstaining from flesh and lust which were against the soul. Oh, that we might have a greater understanding of the majesty and the glory of our God, like Isaiah had in Isaiah 6:3. And you remember that very well. And when he saw the vision of our Lord lifted up, holy, holy, holy servant cried out, He said, Woe is me, for I am undone. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, because my own lips are unclean. I know it's past time, but I want to end with this. If we get a vision of the holiness and the majesty of our God, which the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Timothy 1, 17. And 1 Timothy six fourteen to 16, he said to the only, let the majesty and holiness of God so occupy us, they will have greater understanding of his glorious personality. And what will this do? It will give us a greater humility to put to death the pride of heart that leads to sin. Amen.